Just before we start, I'd like to also mention that Clay is, is still in need of people for SOS. Uh, that's a very fine ministry downtown in which the college kids and high school kids come in from all over the country, and they work on houses, but they are also housed here, and, and food is provided, popsicles are provided, prayer support is provided. There's just a many ways that you can be involved with the SOS. If you don't know what SOS means, it means service over self, that you put service over yourself. And uh, I know of people who are, are taking vacation time to work on these projects, with their whole families. And what a, a great opportunity it would be for you to be involved in SOS. Okay, the psalm we're going to study is Psalm 42. So if you would turn to that, I would very much appreciate it. Psalms 42. Several of the other speakers have, have spoken from the first section of Psalms, uh, up to 42. This one is the, the first of the second section. And many of the Psalms in the first section are ascribed to David, I think 18, one to Asaph, one to Solomon, and eight to the sons of Korah. Excuse me, that's in the second section. And tonight, we're looking at one that goes to the sons of Korah. Um, who were the sons of Korah? I'm sure Jim Umloff could tell you because I think they, they were very much involved in temple music. Uh, they were outstanding people in that area. But they were Korahites descending from through Kohath, Korah's father. And again, they were employed for the temple music. That was their main responsibility. Now, if you've ever read about them, you know that as the Israelites were wandering around the desert with Moses, Korah and 250 community leaders led a rebellion against Moses. They did not like what Moses was doing. They were questioning his leadership, and they led a rebellion against him. And if you've read that particular passage in Numbers 16, you'll find that every one of them lost their lives. They perished under the judgment of God. You can find that story on your own in Numbers 16. Number 16. Now, don't look at it tonight, but Korah and his 250 buddies were all lost their lives under the judgment of God after questioning the leadership of Moses. Now, for some reason, the sons of Korah were spared. And in gratitude toward God, they dedicated themselves to producing and performing music to praise God. They did it in the wilderness tabernacle, and then later they did it in the temple in Jerusalem. So isn't it interesting to take note that although they had unfaithful, disobedient parents, they were devout children of God. They were following after God, not the, the reputation of their parents. And you also have examples in the Scripture where you had um, disobedient children, yet faithful parents um, or a parent like Eli. And if you study Eli, you'll find out that he had two sons that were very wicked Hopney and Phineas. So, no child needs to be kept from serving God because of their parenting. Sometimes some of our children need to remember that. No one needs to be kept from serving God because of their parents. And for some parents, they don't need to feel the failure because of a child's waywardness. 
Sometimes children move in that direction. Sure, we're told to train a child up in the way they should go. And we're, the children are also told to, to obey their parents in the Lord. But I imagine if we polled everybody in here, there are some of you that would say, uh, I wish my child or one child or maybe two child, children were different. They weren't, I wish they weren't so wayward in, in the way that they live. But the Bible shows us both examples. Now, B.J. Odie, speaking of children, uh, sent me out something, well, sent several of the staff members out this article about children today from Paul Harvey. You know, Paul Harvey, good day, uh, from out of Chicago. Uh, I, I had a chance to meet him at John Brown University when I was there and played golf with him. And we had a very unusual golf game in Salem Springs, Arkansas. We met for post toasties, and uh, that's what he wanted to eat. And then we went out to, to play golf, and he said, strap your golf clubs on the cart. And I started to sit down. And he said, no, we're, we're not going to sit down. I've hired somebody to drive the cart. We're going to jog between every hit. So that's the only time in my limited golf career that I ever played golf that way. We had our golf clubs on a cart, and somebody drove the cart, but I ran to my ball. And David, then I'd have to hit it as Paul did. He said, we're going to get exercise when we play golf. But Paul Harvey writes this, and this is really, really good. Anybody see it off the Internet, uh, what Paul Harvey wrote about children or what he has picked up? Okay, you may want, you may want a copy of this. It's, it goes pretty fast, but here's what he writes. We tried so hard to make things better for our kids that we've actually made them worse. For my, for my grandchildren, I'd like it better. I'd really like for them to know about hand-me-down clothes and homemade ice cream and leftover meatloaf sandwiches. I really would. I hope you learn humility by being humiliated and that you learn honesty by being cheated. I hope you learn to make your own bed and mow the lawn and wash the car. And I really hope nobody gives you a brand new car when you're 16. It will be good if at least one time you can see puppies born and your old dog put to sleep. I hope you get a black eye fighting for something you really believe in. I hope you have to share a bedroom with your younger brother or sister. And it's all right if you have to draw a line down the middle of the room, but when he wants to crawl under the covers with you because he's scared, I hope you let him. When you want to see a movie and your little brother or sister wants to tag along, I hope you let him. I hope you let her. I hope you have to walk uphill to school with your friends and that you live in a town where you can do it safely. On rainy days when you have to catch a ride, I hope you don't ask your driver to drop you two blocks away so you won't be seen riding with someone as uncool as your mom. If you want a slingshot, I hope your dad teaches you how to make one instead of buying you one. I hope you learn to dig in the dirt and read books. When you learn to use computers, I hope you also learn to add and subtract in your head. I hope you get teased by your friends when you have your first crush on a boy or a girl. And when you talk back to your mother, that you learn what ivory soap tastes like. <laughs> may, your, may you skin your knee climbing a mountain, burn your hand on a stove, and stick your tongue on a frozen flagpole. I don't care if you, if you try a beer once but I hope you don't like it. And if a friend offers you dope or a joint, I hope you realize he's not your friend. I sure hope you make time to sit on a porch with your grandma and grandpa and go fishing with your uncle. May you feel sorrow 
at a funeral and joy during the holidays. I hope your mother punishes you when you throw a baseball through the neighbor's window and that she hugs you and kisses you at Christmas time when you give her a plaster mold of your hand. These things I wish for you. Tough times and disappointment, hard work and happiness. To me, it's the only way to really appreciate life. Pretty good, isn't it? Paul Harvey. Good day. All right. Well, let's look at uh, the Psalms, and I need to read it to you first before we, we look into it tonight. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they continually say to me, Where is, where is your God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God, with the voice of joy and praise, with the multitude that kept a pilgrim feast. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise Him for the help of His countenance. O my God, my soul is cast cast down within me. Therefore I will remember you from the land of the Jordan and from the heights of Hermon, from the hill Mizar. Deep calls unto the deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and billows have gone over me. The Lord will command His loving kindness in the daytime. And in the night His song shall be with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I will say to the God, to God my rock, Why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning? Because of the oppression of the enemy. As with the breaking of my bones. My enemies reproach me. While they say to me all day long, where is, second time, where is your God? And why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise Him, the help of my countenance and my God. Now, this may surprise you. Maybe you've already caught on. But this psalm, chiefly deals with the subject of depression. Chiefly with the subject of depression. And many of you have read Martin Lloyd-Jones, some of his works, um, but you probably don't realize that one of his best circulated books was on depression, which was entitled, Spiritual Depression, Its Causes and Cure. Is the subject depression attractive? Probably not. Probably not too of you excited to hear about the subject depression. But we need to take a look at it. Why? Because so many people claim to be depressed. Including Christians. Many are looking for a cure. I don't know if you know this, but we were told in our, in our health insurance meeting not long ago here at at the church, that Shelby County leads the nation in prescription drugs. Shelby County, your county, leads the nation in prescription drugs. 
Could it be that much of those prescription drugs could be going to, to fight this particular problem of depression? I don't know. I just know that we lead the nation. But the truth is, we all, Christians alike, get down in the dumps sometimes, don't we? We sing the blues. And there's nothing like summertime, this time of the year, to fall into the summertime blues. School is not back in session, and maybe the, the kids are getting a little bit tough. If you have children, maybe you're a little bored with the summer. Maybe you wish you'd taken a longer vacation or you've taken your vacation. Maybe the job is really pouring in on you. But the summertime blues do come. Now, I'm dating myself, I know. But how many of you, I'm, I'm sure Jim, Jim will know this guy, remember this rocker, Eddie Cochran. Jim, you remember? I heard of him. Eddie Cochran. Anybody remember him? There's a nod. He wrote a song called The Summertime Blues. Now, it doesn't, it, it, the words don't make sense because I, I remember just one verse of it. But it's got, it, it keeps, he keeps talking about, there ain't no cure for the summertime blues. That's the, that's the continue. Yeah, now I'm seeing some hits. He says one play, I remember one verse. He says, I'm going to take two weeks, going to have a fine vacation. I'm going to take my problems to the United Nations. I spoke to my congressman and he said, whoa, I'd like to help you, son, but you're too young to vote. What am I going to do? Because there ain't no cure for the summertime blues. Maybe you don't have them. Maybe you've never had them. Maybe you've never experienced them. But many people have. Now, Irma Bombeck, I like the way she writes. Uh, she's deceased, is she not, Irma? But she has really written some, some very good things. She said, if life is like a bowl of cherries, then why am I living in the pits? And that's pretty good. But the fact is, if when we fall in depression, certainly God wants us to get back on track again. And in this psalm, we see Scripture after Scripture where it says, Why are you so downcast, my soul? Why are you feeling so bad? Why are you down? Put your hope in God, and I'll yet praise Him. Well, what I want to do is look at the causes for spiritual depression, even for Christians, and then I want to look at the cure, because Cochrane said there ain't no cure. Well, I think this passage will tell us there is a cure for the summertime blues. But first, what are the causes? What can be the causes? And this is not going to be an exhaustive list. You may have others, but I'm going to give you some. And I'm going to give you three cures. And perhaps it will all help us to get through the rest of the summer and any other time that depression seems to come into our lives. The first cause, and it happens to the sons of Korah here in our, in our scripture, in our passage. The forced absence from the temple of God where God was worshipped. That's the first thing. Notice verse 1 and 2. You see, he is out of there. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God, when shall I come and appear before God. Uh, I think he's far from Jerusalem, far from temple worship. These sons are cut off from God. And as he's mentioned, he's panning as a deer to be able to find that, that closeness, that presence of God once again. Notice in verse 6, Oh my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I will remember. I will remember you from the land of the Jordan and from the heights of Hermon, from the hill Mazar. 
He's looking back toward Jerusalem. Uh, probably, and uh, most of the commentaries didn't say for sure, but probably he's captive, or they, the sons of Korah, are captive by the Assyrians, being dragged off east to Babylon. And as he looks from Mount Hermon and from Hill Mazar, he can see Jerusalem for the last time. Uh, does he know that God is omnipresent everywhere? Sure he does. But being far from home has gotten him down. And he's in a depressed, depressed state. Uh, and sometimes we feel God is absent. I was talking to one of our prayer partners in Prayer Sunday, and he had been out on vacation and a lot of other things this summer. And he says, you know, this summer I felt this way. I feel like I have been unplugged. You ever feel that way? That you've been unplugged from God. Your, your worship hasn't been what you've wanted it to be. Your study of Scripture, your devotional time hasn't been what you've wanted. You feel unplugged. This young, these young men are also absent from their work. Thus, the feeling of being useful is not there as normal. And it can reflect on your whole purpose for living. Key of application here. Have you ever lost a job? Have you ever felt stuck in a dead-end job? Uh, early forced retirement ever led you into depression? For some people, this can happen. So can old age for some people who are seniors. Now, retirement is a, is a, is a thing we talk about, but the guys I know, the Jay Parkers and the Bob Woods that I have connection with, they ain't retired. I don't know if they say they're retired, but if you've been around those guys, they are not retired. They're working harder than I've ever seen them work. Now, it's in ministry and doing things for other people, but they're not retired. But all those things can make you feel depressed from time to time. Now, have you, any of you ever heard of the Abacasians? When I use that word, you know what, who that group of people are? The Abacasians? They're the longest living people in this world that we know of. Sociologists have studied the longest living people. And they are the Abacasians. Now, that's, uh, that's over in uh, Georgia and the Soviet Union. That's the area that they live in. Hear a little bit about them. Number one, they are horseback riders. They live outside, ride horses all the time, run, walk, are active. Very active people. Secondly, they have a very limited diet. In other words, they, have a, they eat good, healthy food, which I'm inclined not to do, and many of you the same way. But they have very good diets in what they eat. And thirdly, they never stop working. They never stop working. What happens is they begin to decrease in the amount of work they do as they grow older. In other words, you're not working 12 hours or 14 hours. It becomes less and less. But they never stop. And what it causes, what, what happens for these people is that they become very valued people. Very valued. They're not, they don't feel like they've been put on a shelf, that they no longer count, that they no longer have uh, value to give to their community and to their people. They feel very valued in what they do. And they are the longest living people in our world today. The Abkhazians, the Republic of Georgia and the Soviet Union. I think we, we could learn a great lesson there. Some of you in here are young, some of you are middle-aged, some of you are seniors. 
I hope that that you that are middle and the younger will take advantage of the great opportunity you have here. And that is there are a lot of people with a lot of wisdom who are in the category we call seniors that have much to offer, much to offer. And I think that if you would strike up a relationship with them and converse with them, that you could learn much from them as they could also learn from you. I love it when the Scripture talks about the older men teaching the younger men and the older women teaching the younger women. I think that's very scriptural. And I hope that you will plug into that opportunity. So that's the first reason for depression. The second one is the taunts of the unbelievers. Did you hear them? 42, 3 and 10. Look at 3. My tears have been my food day and night while they continually say to me, Where is your God? Verse 10. As with the breaking of my bones, my enemies reproach me while they say to me all day long, Where is your God? Twice it's repeated. He's a hurting man, or these are hurting men, these sons of Korah. You know, in ancient times, in these times, I don't think they were dealing with atheists here. In fact, we're taught that atheism didn't come in until Greek, the Greek philosophy came in, until Greek philosophy came in. That's when atheism came. So it wasn't, your God doesn't exist, but they were asking a question or pointing out, how come your God's abandoned you? How come He's left you? How come you can't find Him? Where is your God? We've got you in captivity. We're hauling you off to Babylon. Why doesn't your God come and do something about it? That's a familiar call today. We hear it. I hear it a lot. Where is your God? Why doesn't it? If your God's so wonderful, why doesn't your, your God intervene and change the circumstances? Why doesn't He do that? I was working with a, with a couple, uh, a younger couple, in which the, fa- the, the husband has become a believer and uh, his mother is not a believer. And so every chance she gets, she brings that up. You know, when problems come up, he shares problems with her. Well, where's your God? You know, you're telling me all about this God that you now love and serve. Where is he? you got this problem. Why doesn't he change things? Why doesn't he intervene? And that's exactly what's happened here, and it's caused depression for these sons of Korah. Where is your God? Another reason is memories of better days. You know the song, Those Were the Days, My Friend? Uh, there should be a proper way we use our, the, the memories of the past. And remember what God has done for us in the past for encouragement. Because if He's done it once, can He not do it again? Absolutely, He can. And I like the altars and the worshipful reminders that tell us of what God has done in the past. Uh, we can remember the beauty of, of what He has done. The beauty of worship. Can you think of the, the most worshipful experience you've ever had in your life? I hope it's been here. I've had some wonderful worship worship experiences here. But I have one that is probably my top. My top one. I've got to tell you about that. Because it happened in D.C., Washington, D.C. And it happened when they had a promise keeper. Uh, it was called Stand in the Gap in Washington, D.C. And everybody came. The, these men came. And perhaps some of you were there. Uh, I was there. Uh, and I think they said there were a million six, one million six hundred thousand people there. You looked there, and all you could see was men everywhere. 
And they had TV, big TV sets spaced all the way down through that mall area. You know what I'm talking about in Washington, D.C., where they have all those things. And this was called Stand in the Gap. And they came for one purpose, to pray. And, and to call out to God to forgive them as men and their failures. To repent of their sins and come back into relationship with God in a new and fresh way. They're, and they had speakers and they had worship. Speakers and worship. And we would pray. Speakers worship, pray. Speakers worship, pray. All day. All day at the dust time. I don't know how many times men, millions of men, were flat on their face before God. Flat on their face. Crying out to God. Tears. It, it was a, a wonderful experience. I'll never forget it. But here's what I want to tell you about in regards to worship. I guess I was back about one-third from the front on the right-hand side. Not in the main gap here, but there was a church right there that we were sitting at. Bill, you remember that. And we were sitting in chairs, and and there were 70 or 80 of us there. And uh, I noticed a guy come walking in, oh, pretty early on. But he had on shorts and black socks that didn't match and a white T-shirt that was torn, and a flag. And it was, it was a very reverential flag. You could tell that. It, it had something to do with his worship experience and his relationship with God, but I, I didn't know exactly what it was. Never did find out what it was. But I started watching him during these worship times. And he would get out, and he would take that flag, and he would, he would dance around this, this place and just dance. And when he first started doing it, boy, you can bet. I don't know if you did this, Bill. I started judging What's this kook doing? You know, what in the world is this kook doing? You know, I started watching him. He's trying to be the big show here. And I watched him for a long time. And after about two or three hours, I realized that he was having a worship experience way beyond mine. Way beyond what was happening to me. He was worshiping. And he he loved God so much that that was his way of, of telling him so. And through the dance and, and through the singing and, and through what he, what he said... Over and over again. I've never seen anything like that since. And I don't know what church he was with. But I know he loved God. And I know that when he worshipped God, it humbled me to realize my worship is, no, is nowhere like that. Now, I thank God for, for Jim and, and the praise and worship people in our church because they lead us to that kind of experience. And that should be our experience this next Sunday and every Sunday. Because we have the opportunity. When I pray with the people um, before we come out for services, I thank God that right now we're experiencing the highlight of our week. Getting ready to. We're going to go into His sanctuary. We're going to get to praise, sing, speak, talk to God, hear the Word, the truth proclaimed, be with God's people. That's the highlight of my week. Is it yours? Do you worship God? Or are you like me, looking at what's going on, saying, That's what's going on here? Please, please, worship God in the spirit of truth. Another thing that causes depression and happened here in the scripture is, or can cause it, is the overwhelming trials of life. Jimmy's been talking about that as we studied through Job. Notice the seventh verse here. Deep calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and billows have gone over me. He's talking about tough times. He's talking about trials. He refers to them as waves and breakers that have swept over him. 
But they were the adverse circumstances that have caused him to be taken out of Jerusalem captive and taken off uh, to Babylon. Another is the failure of God to act quickly. Sometimes we want God to act on our terms. And that is oftentimes quick. Verse 9, I'll say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why haven't you moved quicker? Where are you? Does it remind you of the cry of Jesus? My God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? It's not unusual when you talk to depressed people very, very much to find that they feel forsaken by God, that God has left them, that God has not moved quickly in their life. Another reason in our text which people get depressed is attacks from ungodly, deceitful, and wicked persons. Uh, You know what we, we said about where's your God. Look at 43, 42 and 43 tied together. Just look at the first verse of 43. Vindicate me, O God. And plead my cause against an ungodly nation. Oh, deliver me from the deceitful and the unjust man. Probably the same people that, that asked them where their God was. But they're on the attack. On the attack. And they're unjust. And he's praying for vindication. He's pleading his cause before God. Remember what Jesus said. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. Now, in Jones's book, he also says people get depressed because of their varying temperaments. Some people have temperaments that, that are easily, more easily put into depression. Physical conditions can put you into depression. Uh, that happened to me one time. I hadn't been sick a lot in my life, and I got sick over an extended time, and I became very depressed, very depressed. That can happen. Uh, down reaction after great blessing can bring depression. That doesn't sound like it should be, is it? Uh, uh, a down reaction after a great blessing. Read Elijah when he whipped those prophets of Baal. When he did all that he did. Read, read about Elijah. And right after that great victory, Jezebel says, I'm coming after you, big boy. And he runs and runs and runs. And he wants to have his life. Wants to take his life. Wants to commit suicide. So sometimes when you, when you have great victories, great spiritual victories, you really need to pray during that time because the enemy will come after you. Attacks of Satan. He's always trying to get our eyes off God. Uh, And simple unbelief can be a reason that we lapse into depression. Now, I've got four minutes, five minutes, and we want to look at three cures for spiritual depression. What are some of the solutions? What are possibilities? Okay, number one. And I think the sons of Korah demonstrated this. We take ourselves in hand. We take control of ourselves. We take ourselves in hand. We don't give in to the depression or the self-pity that comes with it. It's very easy to lapse into self-pity. But we wrestle through it. We don't let our emotions dictate to us the state that we're in. We preach to ourselves. We address ourselves. And look at verse 5. Why are you cast down, my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise Him and for the help of His countenance. Verse 11. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Again, he says, why are you disquieted? Hope. Where's your hope? In God, for I shall yet praise Him, the help of my countenance 
and my God. Instead of muttering self-pity, let the Spirit control your life. The Spirit will definitely put it on the flesh. The higher nature always wins. Take yourself in hand. Don't allow yourself to fall into self-pity. That's one way. A second way is to challenge yourself to do what should be done. In the Scripture here it says, put your hope in God. There can be no lasting hope in anything else. No answer is going to come your way except putting hope in God, putting your trust in God. Has He done it in the past? If He's done it in the past, He can do it again. I told you that I I lapsed students to depression after a physical illness. I was looking for an answer in the Scripture. And I think everybody was gone that day at the house. It was just me. And I was reading my Scripture. I have to admit to you, I wasn't enjoying reading the Scripture. I didn't really want to go there. I was just, I was so bogged down in pity. Uh, And it was a passage from the Psalms that got my attention here. And it says, I know, this is speaking to God, the psalmist speaking to God, I know your judgments are true, and in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Wow, did that hit me between the eyes that day. That's exactly what I had to confess and come to realize. That when God does what He does with me, His judgments are accurate. His judgments are true. There is no reason for me to question it because it's through His faithfulness that He's afflicted me. And that turned out to happen. It turned out to be for the good of the spiritual part of my life. So, challenge yourself to what should be done. The last one is that He'll remind us of the great certainty of great certainty what God has done in our lives. And that again is back to, I will yet praise Him. I think we know this, but God never changes. We can have certainty what He has done. His purposes never change. And uh, there are many things to come yet that can be good in our lives. I often remind myself of this. One of the greatest works God ever, ever did was when things were the darkest when things were the blackest, when things were the toughest. One of the greatest works of God. You know what that was. Christ on the cross. God working out the plan of redemption for us. Read the Scriptures. It'll say for, was it three hours? Six hours? Somewhere in that time frame. It was completely black. It was completely dark. Nothing was happening. Yet God was working the final plan of redemption that you and I now benefit now. Could it be that in dark times of our lives, when everything seems to be the blackest, when everything, when things seem to be the toughest, God is doing the greatest work that comes to pass later, or we become aware of later. We're not aware of at the time. I think that's uh, entirely true. What's our hope? Our hope's in God, the Scripture says. And I want to leave you with um, something I learned at a chapel when I was at John Brown. Uh, from a, a man uh, quite uh, quite older than me at that time. I think he was from Pennsylvania. But this uh, preacher said that when you deal with difficult times and difficult circumstances and, and things that depression, things that get you down, memorize this. And I've memorized it. I haven't used it all the time, but I use it from time to time. He said this, that we should say this, I must see every person and circumstance that touches my life 
as the Holy Spirit coming to me in that person in circumstance to make me more like Christ. That's a tough one. Uh, usually you're too busy, too busy trying to solve the problem. But can you see that in everything that comes into your life that God has a plan in it and He is desiring to conform you to the image of, son, of His Son. Therefore, why wouldn't He use that? I must see every person and circumstance that touches my life as the Holy Spirit coming to me in that person and circumstance to make me more like Christ. You mean that employee, that fellow employee that's always after me? You call it. You mean that person that's always trying to to get me angry at him? You call it. You mean that flat tire when I'm supposed to be somewhere in five minutes? You call it. What is God wanting to teach you? I don't know, but he's got a plan. And that, I think that's something we need to think about. Um, I told everybody that, or some of these people, I had I almost died three weeks ago. You didn't know that, did you? You, can, you don't believe this, but it's the truth. Yeah. Um, I cut myself on a barbed wire fence out where I live, and I was looking for a golf ball. <laughs> that's what I was doing, looking for a golf ball. And I, it, it's the weirdest thing. But I tumbled headfirst over it. And as soon as I did it, I, I felt a rip from the bob wire as I went over, head over that bob wire. And my wife was walking with me, but she, we always, when I look for golf ball, she goes on. And the golf course is closed on Monday. Nobody's there. And you'll never believe this, but I was as far from my house as you could be and be on the golf course. A mile and a half. And... I just went head over heels, and I, and I had some other cuts and bruises. But right here, um, there's a, is where the cut came. And there's a femoral artery there. I don't know much about health and anatomy and physiology, but I know there's a very important artery. And when I rolled over and looked, it was spurting. And I said, that's my femoral artery. <laughs> and it, it scared me. I mean, it really scared me. But at the same time, I felt a pretty clear hit. You know, I had to do something. I had to do something quick. So I wrapped, you know, I wrapped, I had blue jeans, short blue jeans. I wrapped it around the front and started walking. And as I walked, excuse me, as I walked, I just started praising God. You know, if I pass out in a while, this is it. You know, this is your plan. It's your, I'm going to keep on walking. And so I made a half a mile. Well, I hadn't lost that much blood yet. You know, so I, I walked another half, half a mile. And I finally got into the house, and without my wife even knowing, I got in the car and drove to the medical center in town. And everything turned out okay. But it was, it was amazing to me how clear everything was and how much I realized God's in control. You know, if, you know if they find me out here bleeding to death or have bled to death, I'll be absent from here. I'll be out of here. I'll be at home with the Lord. And, uh, Lord, I, I, I just, I'm just so thankful that we can know him and have that kind of peace, even in the midst of problems, even in the midst of trials and difficulties. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have given us remedies for depression, to put our hope in you, to put our praise in you, uh, to know that you're still on the, on the throne, that you're the very God who has saved us, and you love us and you have a plan for our lives, and, and that, that plan is going to be completed. Uh, we pray that you would continue.